Behind the Shades. You know, I think I mentioned last time in our interview how I got my start with helping people through personal training. And I love, you know, helping people understand how to take care of their physical body and health in general. I feel like coming from a space of health is very empowering and important. And it kind of teaches people how to be a priority in their own lives or like remain a priority depending where they're coming from. But you know, when people think of health, they think very like in a box of like when they're at the gym or when they're eating, but really health is always like mental. When is mental health like specific? You know, it's not in a box as much as people think physical health is, but you know, when you park further away and you walk in off the stairs, instead of taking the elevator, like all those things are about health. And what I'm finding is where my direction with coaching has really kind of started shaping itself is helping people be more conscious in their choices around everything health, whether that be the health of their relationships, the health of their relationship with their emotions, the health they have within their relationship with themselves, with their partners, with their friends. And it's been a very unbelievable experience. I mean, it's just so fun to watch people transform and like really get to that next level. And I mean, you get it. So but yeah, lots of shifts have happened in the last year since we chatted. So take us through it, um, as you mentioned, because that's a, that seems to be like the mountain that we all need to climb, right? Is better relationships for ourselves with almost everything, right? With food, with our health, with our friends, with our partner, with our loved ones, with our children, with our house, right? Like, yeah. take us definitely through it. So when you start helping these helping people Mm -hmm. what do you find is probably one of the earliest stumbling blocks that they have um that's a great question I would say like the uncertainty of what's right slash successful like they're investing in themselves by working with me and it's obviously important for them to see things move in a direction but as humans, we learn more often by getting things wrong than by getting things right. Like when we get things right, we, we call it luck most of the time. We don't think like, oh, I did something. It's, oh, I got lucky. It's like, mm, but did you? So, you know, when you're working through someone's psychology, their thinking patterns have been their thinking patterns their entire life. So I literally have to tell my clients, like, let's get on the same page about what failure is. Because in coaching, failure is not the same thing as what you perceive it in normal life. In normal life, when people fail, they think, oh, God, something's wrong with me. I did something wrong. And they, you know, kind of tend to go into like the inner bully phase. But in coaching, that is like gold. Like, when did you choose these things? What asked you to take this step over here? What were you thinking? Were you thinking? Where were you focusing on? So just trying to help them understand like failure is gold and there is no such thing as a right direction. It's more kind of healing the relationship they have with themselves by giving them permission to get things wrong and helping them actually utilize it as a learning experience. So then when they see the next time they kind of fall into that subtle experience again, they can see like, oh wait, I did it differently. 
or, oh, I noticed this is happening again and I can choose to do it differently. And, you know, when you're talking about like weight loss or something, you can see on a scale or you can see in your clothes progress. And I have found like very early on in coaching, getting them to see what progress will look like is important by helping them learn, you know, what's right for them by giving them permission to fail. So it was like a roundabout answer, but hopefully you see the line. I agree. And you mentioned a good example when you said weight. I think it's easier to measure success when we can see it mm-hmm. versus measuring success when we can feel it. Mm-hmm. Right. And there are times where I'm trying to explain that to some of the people that I would coach. Mm-hmm. I would say that, well, and you've probably done this. How do you feel when you do this? How do you feel when you think of that versus I lost 10 pounds, I can fit into that dress. Mm-hmm. You know, where it's a little bit different. And I think sometimes the emotional change and the internal change is harder to grasp for some people because they can't show it necessarily. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. And I think that, you know, if you, if you go back to all the way, like when we were babies, like we were insanely introspective. I mean, we were in a womb for nine months. All we had was introspection. And then we get out in this big, scary world and we start to learn like, oh, if I cry like this, my caregiver will come and comfort me. If I cry like this, I get food. And like we start to learn, oh, when we behave certain ways, we get certain things. When we do things, we get things. And that kind of doesn't end the introspection, but a lot of people then go very extroverted in like how we look at things in life. And there isn't a lot of respect or value with emotions because people didn't know what to do with them. But, you know, a lot of the work that I try to get my clients to do is like, okay, what was that feeling? Did you not just like the emotion of it, but like, did you feel hot? Were your shoulders tense? Like, where were you physically? Because A, getting them to even think about that, like tempers the emotion and like grounds them in their skin and that like that moment instead of letting the story, you know, wander off but also it familiarizes their physiology with what happens because, okay, something happened and you had an emotional response to it. That doesn't mean it's a bad thing. Like emotions are not bad. We were trained that they were good and bad, but really the ones that we were trained are bad are better said people are uncomfortable around you when you feel this. It has nothing to do with that emotion being bad. People just don't know what to do when someone is crying and it's not at a funeral, you know? Like there are certain exceptions to the rules, but we're so evolutionary, like we're such evolutionary creatures. Like if we didn't need emotions, they would have like peace, like they wouldn't be here anymore, but they're here and they're really there to guide us. Like I can't think of anything that's more valuable than our attention. And unfortunately with a lot of the good emotions, like joy, happiness, laughter, humor, any of that that's so fleeting and we barely like capture that moment. We barely recognize it. But when we're anxious, when we're stressed, when we're scared, we are in that emotion and it consumes us, but we stop at the emotion. We stop at, Oh, I'm afraid. Okay. And like, that's it. Or, Oh, I'm stressed. Okay. But what does that mean? Why are you stressed? Like, you know, stress is what arises in us when something we care about feels threatened. Okay. So what is it that's feeling threatened? with that information, what intentional action can I take now that I know this is feeling that way? Like using our emotions for us to guide us instead of like 
just trying to ignore that they exist really. And I'm, I mean, I think that was a big challenge that a lot of people are facing is no one was really taught how to process uncomfortable emotions, at least not from any of the people I've worked with really. Have you? Um, what is, what I've noticed is that no, it's like we are taught how to talk, but not to communicate. We're taught how to hear, but not listen. Mm. And we are taught to feel what we feel, but we weren't taught how to express it. And you're absolutely right when you say that there's positive and negative emotions. Like you can have, let's say, anger, which is typically described as a negative emotion. Mm-hmm. But you can be angry about something which incites you to go march, which incites you to create change mm-hmm. and you have a positive outcome. 100%. Right? Yeah. I don't think people judge that people spend less time judging what could happen or the outcome of what they express. Like you can be, I can be happy that Laura has a new house. Mm-hmm. But that happiness can fuel jealousy and envy now i need to get a new house or may get to the point where i'm like well laura is succeeding because it started off this way but now i feel a certain type of way and i'm not going to continue to deal with laura because when i look at her now instead of feeling joy and happiness from her success i feel something else so do you help people to map or to at least understand their emotional responses as many of us didn't grow up with that training yes I do both. Um, It very much depends where people are. Like if you're someone who can recognize like, oh, Laura has a new house. That makes me feel a certain way. This is why I feel that way. And you don't then like cut ties and okay, you're like in a space of understanding what's happening within you, but that doesn't necessarily mean you have the tools to reshape it. And so that would be someone where I work on, you know, decoding the emotion and it's really not me or anyone who has the house. It's the trigger within you of someone I know now has a house that creates this in me, but why? What are you, like, where's the meaning within it? Like, there's plenty of people throughout the country, the world buying houses every day. What, like, why does it matter if another person, like a specific person, for example, like me that you know, like, why does that actually invoke a reaction? And people get this all the time on social media when they see their friends getting married or having kids and it makes them like question where they're at because we feel like there's almost this like blueprint of what we need to be like okay we're here so by this age we need to be doing these things and like oh god these people are doing these things does that mean I'm behind like there's no behind or ahead in life there's just your life and your path and what drives you versus others so it's kind of getting people to understand that their emotions are signals for them to like understand what's happening within their bodies for them to then choose to heal that or use that. Not all react, like you said, like anger about injustice, for instance. I don't know if I necessarily would want to get rid of that. That is something that I want to be able to motivate me to take a stand or create change. So cool. I recognize this is what's happening. I value why it's values aligned with my like morals and my purpose. I don't want to change it. I understand why it happened. Okay. But if I get mad that my husband eats donuts and I'm on a diet or something, you know, that might not be where I want to, you know, hold my anger because he's not on a diet. I would be the one on a diet. But I mean, that's what happened before I was coaching. So now I don't get in that predicament with him anymore. But it's, you know, just helping people witness like these are the landmines you have within you. Outside world will trigger them. But your power, your control comes in how you choose to heal and respond and act. Because at the end of the day, regardless of the 
success, lack of success, weight, lack of weight, whatever your predicaments are, if you can end a day and look back and be proud of who you were, how, proud of how you managed yourself, even if your outcomes aren't exactly aligned, isn't that a good day? I think so. I and think so. For those wondering, her, her husband's actually a strong man, okay? So he may have <laughs> or donut or two, but he's still a, he's still a, a strong man. Yes. But I think, and you, you touched on like social media, the posts, and I have a few friends this year that were getting married. And it took me back to a time where this was years ago. I went on this date. It was probably date number two with this young lady. And she mentioned on the second day that she wants to get married within nine months, have kids within, sorry, she wanted to get married within six months, children within nine months. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. <laughs> right? And the reason I bring that up is because when I probed and I asked her why so soon, because this is date number two, it's not even like we actually are official. Um, she said, well, my friends mm-hmm. are getting married. Right. And I can understand the, the female dynamic is because if you want to start a family, depending on how large the family is, biology is sometimes not your friend, the biological right. clock. Right. Right. But have you seen where, because I know I've seen it, where there's some people, their journey would be a duplicate of someone else's, or at least a version so close to someone else's that they can actually create a second Laura, for example, or a second terrain. Have you seen that? Um, I don't know if I would phrase it like that, but I like I understand what you're asking. I've seen a lot of cookie cutter models, like specific blueprints of how like certain friends of mine have been like like checking all the boxes at the same time same way um and it always makes me think of like um god what are they called like you know the developments where like all the houses are the same when they're um creating the houses and it's like exactly the same yeah. um, it's like how would you ever actually know your house without looking at the numbers because all yeah. the colors are the same every house like that's what I think of. And humans are not like that. Like we each have our own unique fingerprint in like general, like fingerprints, but also like psychology evolution. I mean, like my brother and I, and if you think about it, siblings are supposed to be more closely aligned because they're raised in the similar nature nurture experience. We couldn't be more different. Like it's comical how opposite that we are yet we were exposed to, you know, 99% of the same things and had a lot of the same morals and values instilled in us. And we are very different people. Now he is successful in his own way and I'm successful in my own way. And who's to say one way is better than the other. But more importantly, where did the competition come from? Like, why do we need to compare and compete oh, my friends are getting married and having kids, which means I should. And if I don't, then I'm failing or I'm not where I need to be. Says who? Like, where did this competition come from? And my suggestion is fear. But what do you think? I think, I was going to say, I think that people don't want to get left behind, but then that ties into fear. And then I was going to say, I don't think people want to seem less than but then that's coming from fear fear right and it's all fear like not knowing I called it the Goldilocks complex this is literally what I feel like everyone deals with is 
we work as hard as possible to succeed. And then when we don't succeed, it's not enough. If we do succeed or we put too much on our plate, we're then too much. It's like this, it's too big, it's too small, but what is your right? Like I had um, a business coach try and sell me and he was telling me how much money I could make every single month and how it wouldn't require more time and this and that. And I was just like, no, like I'm not, like it sounds like you're helping a lot of people. I'm, I'm happy for you, but like I'm not your potential client. And he was very persistent with me to the point I got a little agitated and a little spicy, which I can be spicy sometimes. And I said something along the lines of, with all due respect, I have said, no, I'm not interested three times now. My purpose and my drive is not money oriented. So I am not your ideal client. I don't want to take on as many clients as possible and make all the money in the world. I want to help people in whatever way helping is most impactful. If that means less financial stability for me, then fine. But that's not something I'm really worried about because it's not about the money we make or the blueprint we're on or what other people are doing because you can follow that and at the end of the road be dissatisfied with your life because it wasn't your life. It wasn't your passion. It wasn't your choices. You were just going along to get along so you didn't feel left behind in this fictitious timeline of what we believe life should be. And I think one of the most important questions people need to actually answer for themselves is what relationship do you want to have with fear? We encounter fear every single day, fear of what others are thinking of us, fear that we're going to be seen in a specific way, fear that we aren't doing enough, fear that we're doing too much. I mean, everything is so uncertain in so many people that it's fear every day, but do you want to use it as a stop sign? Oh, I'm afraid I'm not going to do enough. So I'm just going to not do it at all. Do you want to use it as a motivator to like overdo it? But like, where is balance within fear and how, like, how do you want to respond to fear? So you made a good point where you mentioned we deal with fear all the time. Now, do you help people overcome that type of fear that maybe prevented them to lean into the life that is generally going to make them happy instead of copying from someone else? I try to help them befriend fear. I think fear is like a cockroach with a giant uh, flashlight in front of it. Like the shadow of fear looks really, really big. But once we go into it, it's just, you know, a tiny cockroach. And it's not enjoyable by any means. I don't like cockroaches, just like I don't like fear. But at the end of the day, like, I respect all of my emotions. And that's what I try to get my clients to do is respect, like, this is happening for a reason. You don't have to like it, but you can use it for you. And so I try to help them just distance the kind of emotional attachment of the meaning they bring to fear and actually try and see it from a more zoomed out version. You know, so many times people are like, but what if I go out and I am myself and people don't like me? And I'm like, okay, so you go out, people don't like you, then what? And I was like, wait for them to try and answer. And sometimes I'm like, then I'm going to cry and go home and eat a bunch of ice cream. I'm like, okay. So you cry, you go home, eat a bunch of ice cream, then what? Like at the end of the day, we have no option, but to keep going. So, okay. You get knocked down. Again, we're humans. We learn through getting things wrong a lot of times. That's literally how we start to walk from babies. We don't have the strength in our legs 
So when we fall down, getting up from a squat is how we build that strength. So every time we're falling down in life, whether that's a psychological fall down or a physical fall down, you know, we're getting stronger from it. So I try to help people see, you know, fear is a caution sign. All right. See it, identify what it is. Okay. I'm afraid of something. That means something I care about feels uncertain. That's really what it is. What do you want to do with that knowledge then? Do you want to be more considerate around this? Do you want to put more of an investment forward? Do you want to have more balance? Do you just want to think about it more? But if you look at fear as a reason to not do things, you're going to live a life that you're going to regret at some point. And that is actually not something, I mean, I'm saying it, but it was something I learned from when I volunteered in the nursing home back in college. They said that, you know, the worst thing you can do is look back and live with regret. So dare to get it wrong. At least you'll know you tried and that's worth it. And, you know, I'm sure you understand this, starting your own business and having this whole arena of trying to manage a business and get clients and help people. Like there's fear every day. And I jokingly tell my clients, and I'll tell you like my business strategy too, it's throw it at a wall and see what sticks. Is it the most efficient or, you know, logical or strategic? I don't know, but it's mine and I'm okay with it because I'm, I accept that getting it wrong, which I'm scared to get things wrong, just like everyone else is going to happen so I can learn something. I don't have to like it along the way, but we're not meant to like everything in life. And that's where I think we really get in ourselves in trouble is we try to look at life to be happy instead of find your true purpose. Because if your purpose is to, you know, live a life that brings good into other people's lives and impacts the world, the things you like aren't always going to correlate with that purpose. So maybe it's more about defining your purpose. And when fear pops up, it's like, okay, but would this action get me closer to my purpose or further away from my purpose? And I think that's more of how we need to think instead of, do I like this? Does this make me happy? You know what I mean? I do. And when you mentioned, um, if I go outside and I'm not liked, that is such a big deal to so many people is to be liked because they view it as being accepted mm -hmm. and i've seen people compromise actually who they are mm -hmm. just to be liked and you also touched on finding what is your purpose mm -hmm. in life how do you if it was let's take me for example like if i'm a representation of someone that is wandering through life how would you help me find my purpose or find a purpose that would well, let's do it live what makes you feel alive in your life helping others okay is there any element around helping others that can trap you into unhealthy patterns um i would say yes um for example if you were to like i would say time like if someone is in con consistent need of your time then you may run into that issue. You told me that what makes you feel alive in your life is helping people, right? So are there any avenues where you helping people can be obstacles to your own balance and fulfillment in your life? Yes, I think if you're spending um, an unusual amount of time 
with that person like you're focusing more on them than yourself as well if you're starting to take on their problems and it may be impacting you negatively in your life brilliant and that awareness is really key so obviously i already know that you're helping people to this point do you have a good radar around when you're tipping the scales in an unhealthy direction or are you pretty keen into the boundaries that have set you in balance? I do. Um, because of what I do here, like speaking to you and coaching, and then I, in my job in my nine to five, I still do that. And I'm coaching people there. There's been times where I felt like I was feeling overwhelmed. Mm. You know, when you, when you have the onset of it, where you can, when you, when you're experiencing something's not right. Like I'm feeling anxious, starting to look around. So what I do is um, I go do something that can clear my mind. And what has helped me is boxing and the gym. Mm, yeah. Fantastic. Okay. So we know helping is going to be a key player. So when you are at the end of your life, how would you, you, not others, but how would you want to describe what you did? I'll describe it. I would want it to be, I would want to describe it as being helpful as being to be complete and it's going to sound like arrogant i want to describe it as i helped to change the world whether it's a small okay. way or a large way okay and now i need you to create a separate purpose about you and your role within your life because that is a noble and i love it and my my purpose is similar and i'll share mine when we're done but you're a key part within your life. You gain energy from what I'm hearing um, when you help others. But what is your purpose to you? My purpose to me is to be remembered and leave a legacy. So if I'm understanding, you want to be remembered as someone who helped others and helped change the world. Yes. Does that feel... Like, do you feel the energy in like your chest or where do you feel that? I feel it in my, like, I feel it in my heart, but there's days where actually I feel it in my mind where I'm like, I, I amaze myself some days, you know, mm -hmm. when you, when you think of what you've been able to accomplish and you're like, wow, I did that. Right. And the best feeling I can describe it from what I've researched is that when someone creates a statue, when someone has built a house, right. I can look back and say, I did this. And that's where I feel it in my mind, mostly, especially lately. Okay, last question, and then we can wrap it up. When you do help others and you see that you're making that impact and truly living into your purpose, do you allow yourself to feel it? Do you slow down and relish in the moment, or do you just move on to the next thing? I've had to learn to slow down. And that going from one to the influence to the other, yeah. So then if you were my client, I would suggest, so it sounds to me like your purpose is to slow down long enough where you can be remembered and remember the impact you're having in helping others while you help yourself change the world to be a better place. Does that sound right? I, yeah. And how would I slow down? I, because I'm taking notes as you speak. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's kind of what we learned, right? So you said you've been learning to slow down. What has worked for you so far? Um, being aware of it, that's something that I had to learn because I just felt that it's just a part of being ambitious. You know, they, they especially, and this is going to sound maybe a little sexist to those hearing it, I always felt that as a man, it's like, 
you keep going, you keep going, you keep going, right? So I had to learn to slow down. And then that's when I said, okay, instead of me necessarily going to the gym, why don't I slow down in the comfort of my home? So I bought the, um, the weighted bag, and put it in my garage. So now instead of me going to the gym to do certain things or for me to necessarily get someone who used to come to my home and I used to train with them, I spar with them in my backyard, I take 15 minutes. I take 30 minutes mm-hmm. every day. And that totally clears my mind because any, any um, sources of stress gets put into that punching bag and then you're just mm-hmm. unleashing on it. So that's what has helped me. So what I would suggest is trying to create a breath minute practice. So what I do is ultimately after I finish with a client, I put my hand on my heart, I close my eyes and I take three deep breaths. And I really think about what did I do in that session that made me feel like I was making a difference. And I figure out, you know, whatever that was. And as you know, like as a life coach, some sessions are like, you're freaking flying and other sessions, it's like, you're in the mud, but that's how you get to the flying. So not all sessions are like relished and joy and amazing. It's sometimes challenging and trying to push people to like where they're ready to grow. And that's the role, that's the job. But in those, especially in those muddy sessions, like I really need to just like connect with like, what was the purpose of me pushing? Was I like, would I do anything different so I can always keep growing? But normally I get to just, even if it was, I held space for them to share that vulnerability or those dark moments or their truth in a way that was feeling heard like that is still valuable to people and that helps people feel stronger and grow. And there are times that is what I did and I can connect to that meaning, but three breaths to slow down and feel the joy, giving yourself permission to actually feel the impact of your purpose instead of racing to help as many people as possible, honoring the people that you're actually helping in the moment and allowing yourself to get that kind of oxytocin hormonal space within yourself. And then what I do at the end of the day is I give myself a headline of the day. Um, So I actually came about this on social media. So it's kind of funny, but it was uh, a girl posted about when she was in a nursing home and she saw her favorite old man and he was kind of in a corner and she was like, you know, what's wrong with you today? Is everything okay? It was like in the middle of COVID. And she's like, it must be really hard for you, especially with all the news. And he's like, no, I learned a while ago, you got to make your own headlines. And he like points to a husband and a wife hugging. He goes, husband comforts wife as she misses her family. Points to, you know, a little kid with a balloon. And little kid entertains elderly, reminding them of the playful energy. He grabs her hand. He goes, old man makes new friend. And he's like, if you let media tell you what your life is, you're going to live in stress and fear. So make your own headlines. So at the end of every day, I create my own two headlines, one of the work I did with my clients and one with the work that I did within myself. And it's actually really awesome. So I have like a journal and I get to go through it every now and then, but that would be my suggestion for how to slow down because being a helper is incredibly rewarding, but we do want to help as many people. And sometimes that push that drive steals the joy, the reward, the essence of what we get from actually doing the amazing work that we are doing in the world. 